0: Saying so the tone in your retrospective. The sure, short we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we're discussing season nine, episode eight, which is titled First Snowfall. The episode aired on November 21st, 2002. Lauren was going that week 21 years ago.
1: Uh, happy birthday to 13 year old Daniel. We'll Woo-hoo. start with
0: that. He's recently uh, ring- an awful teenager.
1: Yay! Uh, Ringo Starr, formerly the drummer for the Beatles, is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Three days later, Beatles bandmate George Harrison posthumously releases his 12th and final album, Brainwashed. And Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. And Lose Yourself by Eminem is still the number one song. Daniel, what else was on?
2: At 8pm, friends with the episode The One with Rachel's Other Sister uh, and then starting at 8.30 I hope you like Will and Grace because we got a lot of it uh, Will and Grace with a either a two part or a, a just hour long episode uh, Marry Me a Little, Marry Me a Little More I'm sure someone in the uh, Will and Grace uh, fan contingent will fill me in on the details on that one uh, and then at 9.30 a Will and Grace clip show uh, Oh
1: yeah, those were a thing
2: yeah, it's honestly admirable. Admirab- admirable. Yeah, yeah. It's honestly admirable that uh, in 15 seasons of you know 20 plus episodes a season, we never once really got a full blown clip show. Out oh, of you're ER. right. Yeah, it's, I can't think of one. Kudos Guys, to them. Guys, we have
1: to we have to make the ER clip show.
2: I mean, we do a clip show at the end of every uh, every year. Best ET of best That's STT. very true. Season four coming true. this December. Um. And uh, on a uh, so uh, viewers, we've got twenty five point eight million viewers tuning in uh, and we are written and directed this week by Jack Orman. Uh, As a director, he is doing his second of just three. Last time we saw him as a director was The Letter. Uh, And uh, as a writer, he's doing his twenty seventh out of twenty eight. And the last time we saw him uh, as a writer was earlier this season with Insurrection. Uh, And no Romano, no Pratt and no Chen this week. So light ensemble. But what an
0: episode it is. As we said, this is, this is, I'm just going to tell you right now, this is in my top 10 episodes of the entire series. This is Sleeper Hit. I love this one.
1: This explains why I remembered it is because this is probably one of the ones you've had on in the background before.
2: Oh, this is absolutely a Comfort Watch episode. Yeah. This is not an episode that, like, I hear mentioned by people as a, like, all-time great one. So, like, that's why I feel like it's kind of on the the low-key Sleeper Hit tier. Like, if you, if you don't if you didn't know what this episode was going in, like give this episode more credit because it's definitely worth it. Yeah.
0: All right. Our previously on is brought to us by Susan. And we start with Glantz on the phone asking about Eric while Abby watches. uh, She's yelling at him. She yells at him for telling the person on the phone. He's calling on behalf of family. She's like, Oh no, they won't do anything. And he basically gets the same information she does. So, and a guy in chair starts screaming at a homeless man. That's by admin because he is a piece of shit.
2: Ah, oh boy. And uh, our homeless man here is uh, quite the oh-hey-it's-that-guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Actor Larry Hankin who appeared in stuff like Barry, Days of Our Lives, and both Breaking Bad and the follow-up movie to Breaking Bad El Camino, which is uh, imminently watchable, and uh, if you haven't seen it, you totally should. Um... Uh, he played the uh, junkyard guy in mm-hmm. uh, Breaking Bad. Helps. Who knows his rights. Right. Helps <laughs> helps uh, the guy, the gang out every now and again. Uh, but yeah, love this guy. Total oh, hey, it's that guy. I think somebody else in one of the listener responses, I can't remember if I grabbed it or not, they mentioned that he had a, 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 a kind of memorable uh, role on Friends. So just a, a very, very noticeable oh, hey, it's that guy here with our homeless man. And he does have 191 credits to his name. <laughs>
1: Damn, is he our watermark for the episode?
2: Uh, that's a great question. I feel like I should have noted that myself. Uh, I I'm gonna say so. He seems like this was kind of a, a lighter. Yeah. Um, there's there's only one. O- well, no. I say I take that back. There's one. There's one other really notable mm-hmm. visual. Yep. Um, yep. Oh hey, it's that guy in this episode. And then there's another one that was a low key like sleeper. Oh shit, that's an oh hey it's that <laughs> guy that we will get into.
1: I'm glad I gave you that prompt just to fuck it up myself. Um, and Then we go into Carter, shows up to tell Abby some news he found out about where Eric is. Turns out Eric is at his base in Nebraska now. She's like, alright, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go figure it out. Like, I can't sit around. I'm gonna go. And Carter's like, well, I can get with my travel agent and we can fly out first thing. And she's like, no, I'm gonna go tonight. There's 9.30 to Omaha. I'm going tonight. Um, And Carter's like, well, you should at least take Gallant with you. And she's like okay fine so she asks him to pack her an overnight bag because he's leaving the next day since his shift just started and it's very sweet galant shows up with a dry cleaning bag containing his uniform so he can look the part along with a (laughs) giant textbook and she's like what's that and he mentions something and she goes oh great you coerced a med student into failing his rotation which is one of my favorite lines of this whole episode
0: I love the way he's. I love the way he gallant smirks and says, never been to Omaha. Yeah. (laughs) I just
1: have to say, I want more gallant and Abby. This is a great pairing. Mm -hmm. And I really love gallant in this
2: episode. As as much as I love this episode uh, as is, like with no changes, there is a small part of me that is like kind of annoyed that we couldn't get the, you know, Carter and Abby go get Maggie episode, but with gallant subbing in for Carter. Like that, that would have been and that much w-
1: less sadness.
2: Right. That that I feel like would have been a really fun ep- a, a fun like twist on the road trip episode formula that we've done thus far.
0: All right, and of course, it being Chicago in the in winter time, it starts snowing as she drives away and while cars in the ambulance bay and then we get some weird twinkle notes and some sus some very suspect CG transitioning here.
2: <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah. Hey, it's it's network TV in the early odds. It's true, it's fine. It's true it's fine. but
2: that boy, that, yeah. that ambulance-based snow is something else.
0: Yeah, but yeah, weird twinkle notes is their view through the window, and then overnight, it's essentially been a blizzard as Carter comes out the next morning. It's and- like, we'll, it, we'll find out later, but it's approximately three feet of snow.
1: Yeah. And I just want to say this. Um, I love that this is another episode where the where the weather is a character. We haven't had mm-hmm. that in a while. We get a little Honestly. bit of a Chicago being a character this episode. So yeah. that was nice.
2: And we are in with some bangs. Yeah, I did not what I did not like was the uh the twinkle head fake where they they had me yeah. thinking we were headed straight for some like nice dulcet tone uh twinkles and instead uh I mean it's still a very nice transition. They still handle that very As- well
1: as a big snowy fuck you to daniel and with some banks
2: yeah but i was i was hoping for a little little twinkle action there uh but we can come, come out of the intro uh nathan uh is outside the bathroom uh kind of s- quietly ba- pleading with his foot to work so that he can go in and carter's on the phone and is kind of like absent-mindedly holding the door open for him as he's uh conversation with I think a travel agent or somebody trying to make his own travel arrangements Uh, and Nathan just kind of dismisses him and is like I could be here a while so Uh, we then see our homeless man from earlier is uh, now ranting about math uh, etc and uh, Nathan finally uh, frees up and is able to walk in and Carter asks him how he's doing Uh, and as Lauren mentioned yes the weather is a character again in this episode, uh, it, was, it is a very nice throwback theme, uh, having the character, uh, having the weather kind of play a character in this episode, and I think this is where Carter mentions that we've got about three feet of snow that fell overnight, uh, so not great, even in Chicago, where they're probably better prepared for uh, snowy weather than almost anywhere else in the country, uh, and even even in Chicago, I think three feet in one night would probably be crippling. Oh, the city would be closed for. Multiple days. Yeah. If we got three feet of snow, like we crum we
0: crumble after roughly a foot is where we start stuff to really it. stuff really starts to slow down.
2: It's it's still uh, even you know now that I've been living in the in in snowier climates for the better part of a decade now. Uh, but like, um, particularly in areas that get a lot of snow, you know, like like Minnesota gets a lot of snow, um. It's still weird to me how much things just kind of carry on for the most part growing up in a place where we literally one time uh, when Jake and I were growing up, we literally one time I think got three inches and we're out of school for a week, like an (laughs) entire week. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there was one time um I was out in Santa Fe visiting my stepsister and they had a huge blizzard and like yeah, they get some snow mm. but this was like a weird amount of snow for them. Just a so weird amount. So it was so funny to watch people like brushing their cars with brooms or whatever else they could find mm-hmm. just to do it and I'm just sitting here like walking through, you know, a foot and a half of snow going to my stepsister's house or just like, Yeah, this is fine.
2: It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, Abby calls Carter uh, from the base in Nebraska, and Carter, of course, is trying to tell her about the uh, the blizzard and that he's not going to be able to make it out there. Uh, and we set, we also see Nathan is having trouble with uh, worsening hand tremors uh, as he's trying to wash his hands in the sink. So Nathan is – his condition is deteriorating, let's put it that way. Yeah.
1: And props to Carter for just politely being like, is everything okay? Yeah. Like, not being judgy or weird about it, but he's just like, hey, you okay? You good?
0: Uh man uh army man or excuse me, Air Force Man. We're we're in the air force. <laughs> Fuck the army. We're in the air force here. Okay. Uh a man yells at Abby to get off her phone because she's a civilian in a very restricted area because she's standing in front of a stealth plane. Yep. Which I'm sh- which I'm assuming a visitor's pass does not cover. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and is and is in fact confirmed by uh the man who is uh Eric's commanding officer. And it's like, oh, they're at the wrong hangar. Shit. Whoops. Um, And the guy said, the CO says, if he was picked up in Chicago, we would have been brought here. But he doesn't really know what's going on entirely because they just came off a live fire exercise. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Um, And she tells him about the bipolar disorder. So hopefully that greases the wheels a little bit more to get some answers.
1: Fingers crossed. Um but then we learn that city offices and schools are closed back in Chicago. Uh, this is a point that they make because I think it's Chuni that goes, "We're we're not we're not city offices. We're county.
0: Not <laughs> Susan. We're open,
1: baby. Thank you, because we're open, baby." Um, and Carter is still trying to get transport out to Omaha. Doesn't look like that's going to happen real easy. Uh, Lizzie comes in with Ella, and Susan is very excited to say hi. Just bring your kid to work day, I guess. Probably hard to get a sitter in a blizzard.
0: I really and, wanted her to have like a star yes. uh, jacket on, like Maggie from The <laughs> yep. Simpsons, yes. hundred uh,
1: percent. But from their arrival, we learn that the L is running now, which means Carter can actually try and get to the airport. Cool. So um, we go back to the base. <laughs> that is that is go funny.
2: Ahead. That is funny. Another another weird quirk of living in a like winter wintery type city. Mm-hmm is how much the trains are... The trains and buses are sort of an indicator of how fucked up things are. Yeah. Like, if the trains are still running, chances are most shit's not canceled and you do still have to go. Like, but yep. once the trains shut down, then you're truly fucked and you're not going anywhere.
1: Yeah. hundred um, percent. But yeah, then we see Abby smoking outside on the base. Galant tells her not to because they're right by a truck. And he, she goes, okay, so? And he goes, that's full of jet fuel. And she's like, oh, Okay. Um, and then Eric's lawyer shows up and says he's, that Eric has been transferred to the hospital and they don't know more yet because they're just figuring things out. Uh, we go back, I should note earlier, um, they were talking about how dead it was in the hospital and Aaron is like, okay, what do I do now? And Carter goes, go play in the snow. So we go back to this and Carter's outside and Aaron hits him right, right with a snowball thinking he's Malik. And he goes, do I look like Malik? And right as he says that, Malik runs up and smashes a snowball right into the side of her head. I'd love a good play in the snow episode when they just have them being idiots for like 30 seconds. It's so good. Mm. Um, but then, as if that's not enough of a great visual, Luca comes in on skis. <laughs>
0: like, hey, Leave it to the know. Croatian man to commute be, to work on skis. Be,
1: hey, be prepared. You never know. Um but he and Carter just quick catch up on where Abby is, and that Gallant went with her, and Luca's kind of like, "Why aren't you there?"
2: I know it is a weird little. Uh, I mean, I, it makes sense, but it is also a kind of like a weird little like dick tribunal they have here over <laughs> Abby's whereabouts. Like, yeah, so. I don't,
1: I don't find it too egregious, thank God. But yeah, it is kind. It's sweet. Both these men care about her. They want her to be okay. It's not as dick wavy as it could have been. Yeah.
2: But it's it is sort of funny how like they they both know what you know. I don't know. It's just no, you don't absolutely. you don't get too many of those kind of moments where they're not explicitly dick waving.
0: Yeah,
1: just like hey, where's Abby? What's up?
0: And then Susan comes out yelling about the uh, primary patients for the, our episode that are coming in. A drunk driver plowed through a family who was making a snowman in their front yard. <sighs> so Carter has to stay because. Uh, What's it? Weaver can't get in. Mm-hmm. Even though the yell's running, it's kind of hard to get around with, yeah, with, I love her, that. with her with her condition.
1: I love how Susan says that it's kind of hard to walk in the snow with a cane.
0: Yeah. She's disabled, remember? Yeah. Uh, Lizzie and Nathan are running to a patient on the roof. Uh, she gives him a rundown on how, about how to handle patients up there. She specifically says to stay clear of the tail Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they talk about and, he
1: has a
2: new tremor in his left hand.
1: And don't go chasing after anything; it can get very disorienting up there.
2: Yeah, I it li- did Chippity sort of choppity. like a little, little bit of like low key continuity. Like we had to add this to the to the like spiel before anybody new goes up to the helipad because, you know, bad shit can happen. But yeah, new symptoms presenting. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, we then uh, see. Uh, Eric's attorney giving Abby an update on what Eric has been given uh, to help him, you know, medication wise. Uh, she complains that nobody called to ask for, you know, medical history, et cetera. And then this is this here is where we get our uh, as one listener put it in their listener response. Surprise, Sally Field uh, joining Woo. us in this episode, um, which I think really speaks to the quality of not only the writing, but also like just cl- how clearly like not stunt casting uh, Sally Field was in this role like I feel like if if it was just like oh let's just go get the biggest actor we can find and stick her in this role this is not the kind of episode that I think they could have or would have gotten her for there would have been some sort of like hand wavy unspoken thing of like oh yeah Maggie couldn't be here you know in the alternate universe where like Maggie is played by you know Meryl Streep like they just would have found a reason for Maggie not to be involved in this but I feel like it's because Sally Field really does have a connection to this character and to Maura Tierney and like those two clearly had like a, a very special bond over these characters that I feel like they found a way to make this happen as evidenced by the fact that all of the scenes where Maggie was uh, where Maggie is involved in this episode all of those scenes were shot on location in New York City because Sally Field was busy working on Broadway at the time, so uh, oh, she had to, <laughs> she had to pull herself away from you know memorizing lines for a Broadway show so that she could uh, film scenes for this episode. So shout out to her! Uh, but she's looking great. She's looking stable. She's looking good. It's nice to see Maggie in a better place than the yes. last time we left her. Like it is, and I think that's such a an underrated and important aspect of this the maggie, whole episode well not only this episode but just the maggie character as a whole like if they just used maggie as a sight gag where they would just bring her in to be like hey look at this crazy bitch like i feel like that would cheapen a lot of the stuff we get with that character and with the dynamic with her and abby i feel like it's important yeah. for them to show the full breadth of the you know bipolar experience that like You know it's not all just her being manic and crazy and it's not all just her crying and screaming it is she can find those periods of stability and she's taking her meds and she's doing what she's supposed to do like it's I feel like it was an important aspect of the character to show and I'm glad they went to the trouble to do it
1: that there is hope and there is a way to find that middle ground
2: yeah exactly So, very excited to have her as part of the episode. We will touch on her quite a bit more as we go along. Uh, We go back to the trauma. Uh, Two of the kids uh, brought in from the drunk driver collision mentioned earlier, Toby and Matt. Uh, One will be much more important than the other, unfortunately. Um... Uh, but one of the kids here, we got a low-key, oh, hey, it's that person Uh, way before they were truly famous. And are they still famous? Question mark. Okay. Uh, Matt really. here, uh, he is played by actor Josh Hutcherson, uh, who appeared oh, in stuff hey. like uh, Zathura, Space Adventure. The kids are all right. Uh, and most famously, uh, what do we say? Second, third build in the Hunger Games series. Probably, like, it's probably third or fourth. Yeah. He's... He's kind of the, he's kind of the B tier guy yeah. in yeah. in the Hunger Games, uh, and like not that much since I don't feel like like I don't think so. <laughs> he's kind of he was good in those movies though yeah, yeah. I mean I, I sort of I mean I feel like I feel like the early aughts early to mid uh, or early mid twenty tens were uh, not great to B tier people in really famous movie like really big movie franchises for teens. Like what was the dude from Twilight? Like who's only just now kind of come out of cryostasis in like 2023? The werewolf Robert guy, Pattinson? Robert Pattinson. No not, oh, no, not Robert Pattinson. The the B tier guy, Taylor Lautner. That guy, Taylor Lautner. Like he was like I was gonna say Robert Pattinson's been doing a ton. No, no, stuff Robert Pattinson's great. Them. But like, but Taylor Lautner was like eight, like he was like it boy for like six months after those movies came out, and then Hollywood was like, no thanks, we're good. <laughs> and I feel like the same thing kind of happened to this kid where it was like those movies came out and they were like hey we got this cool new you know movie star possibly and then it was like no we don't never mind
1: yeah uh josh hutcherson his next movie is five nights at freddy that they're doing this year Ugh. yeah that that speaks for yep. itself
2: um so yeah we we then learn that uh so mom is in on the 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 kid's mother is also part of this trauma uh we learn that she jumped in front of the kids so she was hit straight on by the truck so she's in real real bad shape um and it's just a very busy set of traumas ping-ponging back and forth between those two but they got the kids in one room they got mom in the other room and just like shit's burning down left and right it's it's not great
0: i would also like to point out throughout this entire all these trauma scenes uh Barton is back there with the piano on fire. So
2: good. Yeah, the music in this episode is is really fantastic. Um, they do it uh, as we'll talk about as we get later into the episode. Amazing usage of the Orion in the Sky music uh, again, yep. Um, yep. which I didn't realize that they went back to so much. I kind of thought that music died with Mark, and so it was it was really nice. It's been nice throughout this season As they've kind of used it as a little bit of a shorthand For when Lizzie is feeling You know um, uh, Inner inner feelings about Mark You know Which we will get into that as we go along But it's just very nice music in this episode
0: Yeah, uh, We will not hear that now though Even though we're going to go to our first audio clip uh, Abby and Maggie are talking about Eric It's happening hmm. It's happening to
3: him He showed up in Chicago with this girl that he had just met, and I, I knew he didn't have that much leave, but I mostly, I just saw it. I just felt it right away. I should have called you, I'm sorry, but I didn't know what to do. And then the MPs came and they arrested him. Actually, I I got him arrested. Happy. Don't start. This is not your fault. No, I I, I needed to know. I had to know, so I called here, and I... got his medical records, and they had misdiagnosed a depression in May. They thought it was stress, which is why he was transferred here. We thought it was situational.
4: What? I made him see Dr. McMangus. You knew about his depression? McMangus is a mood disorder specialist. Even he thought it was PTSD. PTSD? Mom, you're bipolar. Insomnia, loss of appetite, inability to concentrate. It was all specific to the event and resolved without medication. Do you
3: even know anything about your disease? Yes, Abby. I know a lot about it. Why didn't you just tell me? I wanted to protect you.
1: Protect me? What about protecting him? Your
4: brother didn't want you to know.
1: I, sorry, I'm just like, I, I really applaud how Maggie handles this here. Mm -hmm. Where she's just like, you know, hey, we did get it checked out by my doctor, who's a mood specialist. Like, we thought we were on top of it.
0: A doctor who's clearly doing a great job with Maggie because she's right, totally so, stable here. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's that's the only reason I get a little frustrated, frustrated with Abby here. Like, yeah, I understand where she's coming from, but it's like, no, a doctor who does this mm-hmm. missed it.
2: Right, and, and I think like, I think what I like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like this episode, but I think one of the big reasons why I like this episode so much is because it's not afraid to really, really put out there front and center that Abby's wrong like this is this episode is like this episode is pretty firm in its stance that like Abby's heart is in the right place but her motivations throughout this whole drama have been misguided like that she's she's going about it in the wrong way and i feel like i would use this episode as a um uh an example for those people who sort of levy criticisms at Abby's character that you know oh it's all it's always all about her and she's always at the center of attention and like she's always right and everything like this is this is a perfect example of how you can have balance in that character and how you can you know how you can show that like she's not perfect she's not always right and like there are way there are times where like she can have her heart in the right place and have the best of intentions but still be going about it in the wrong way and i think that's a really a really under, understated part of this episode that I, I really, really like.
1: Uh, God, this ep- I just want to stay in Omaha. I don't want to talk about this family stuff <laughs> at all. Uh, but then we go back to the trauma with mom, and the husband wants to come in to watch Derek. Like, no. <sighs> Comes in anyway, and... Uh, Nathan goes to pull him away, and he pukes all over his own hands. Mm. And I want to note, this this actor has such a notable face. I realized why I put creepy in the notes, because of where I know him from. Mm-hmm. And Daniel will get there after you give us who he actually is. But at this point, we also learn mom is bleeding into her chest. Daniel, who plays the husband? Uh,
2: he is pretty much the other main, oh, hey, it's that person from this episode, uh, actor Jeff Cober. Uh, who has appeared in stuff like Sons of Anarchy uh, apparently he was a semi regular on China Beach uh the mm-hmm. uh I, I, it's not the predecessor to ER but it's the it's the show that has a lot of like spiritual overlap uh with ER yep. um and uh the thing that i recognize always will recognize him from is his one episode appearance uh on X-Files uh, where he was uh, part of the crew in the episode Ice, which is in the first, like, 10 episodes yep, of the I've show. I've seen it. <laughs> it's in the first 10 episodes of the show, and it is phenomenal. One of the best yep. episodes of the entire show, and it's in the first five or six. Um, but, yeah, he really does have a, a really creepy look to him. I always think he looks a little bit like the dude from Aerosmith, uh, yeah. S- Steven Tyler. See, whereas I think he's, uh, we have Thomas Aiden Church at home. I could see a, a mix between the two, like a little a little bit of Steven Tyler, a little bit of Thomas Hayden Church. Like he's got he's definitely got the hair for Thomas Hayden Church for sure. yeah, um, um, And the voice, too. It's a little more deeper and gravelly yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it, he's just, uh, you know, he always plays kind of gruff, gravelly characters. I was really uh, into his performance in this episode. I feel like he added a lot to it um he plays a re- uh, this is this is going to you know <laughs> this is a group chat meme leaking its way onto the uh onto the actual oh podcast here but he does have a really memorable uh minor uh role on New Girl uh where he plays the the central cast's uh landlord in their building he's like their building mm. super uh and i hate him now and he's he's really funny though in the in the show like he you don't realize that this guy can also do funny uh and he ha- he's like a swinger and he just has this like weird like he always thinks that they are like they're asking him to come over and uh make legitimate repairs to their apartment and he always thinks he's being invited over for a threesome and he's always God. he's always disappointed <laughs>
1: um but no i recognize him from buffy
2: yes yeah he, I, I did see he had yep. a recurring role on buffy too he
1: plays the uh the evil warlock who gets Willow hooked on bad magic and that's where she starts her murder spree and like not Alison Hannigan, you becomes bitch. becomes evil Willow in season six, which is a whole fucking horrifying and upsetting arc that they do. Um so yeah, that's where I recognize him from. Which reminds me, Lizzie, on the list. I made it to season four of the Buffy Rewatch. I need to keep going. I was halfway there. So We have did- it on Voodoo. Jake, put it down. Will she finish it by the end of the year? No. Nope. No. Um With that being said, and I'm sorry, I did not bother to get which boy was which during these because there was so much going on with these traumas, but uh, something punctured one of the boys' hearts, it sounds like, and this is an Uh, awful... What? Go ahead, listen. It's
0: Matt who has the puncture because Matt's the one that we'll find out later that we're just going to get a transplant. Gotcha.
1: But this is an awful spot for whose films are those, but this is where I noticed. So whose films are those, guys? Come on. Clean them out faster. These traumas are important. They need the films. Um... But Lizzie pulls the husband aside to tell him one of the sons is brain dead, Toby, and Matt's only chance is a heart-lung transplant from Toby. And she's like, Nathan, you have to talk to the dad and make him understand the need for this transplant while we try and get this kid, like, stable enough to go.
2: Great. It's Cool. A, it's an interesting conceit for a, um, a, a story, but I have questions. Like, I have, like... I feel like there must be some kind of like UNOS involvement here, where they have yeah. they have to at, oh they're absolutely they have to, to, to at least check to make sure that there's not somebody else who is more urgently in need and like you know that well right. she says
0: that the kid that the other kid Matt is going to
2: die within six hours sure uh, yeah without
0: this so I and,
2: and I, I, I imagine I,
0: get it. I know there's I know you can do like directed donations yeah, yeah. so like. I don't think that that would necessarily be an issue. I don't think they would ship off any.
2: But other also, parts. type matching. Right. That was the that was going to be my next yeah, point. That's where the... uh, they they very very quickly hand wave their way through that of just like because like I get that they're brothers, but like that doesn't guarantee that they're going to be exact matches. Like Mm-mm. there's there's people all the time like siblings that try to donate you know kidneys or parts of their liver and stuff, and like they can't because they're not an exact match even though they are blood brothers or or blood siblings so it, it was for for a show that is usually so good about the details with stuff like that it was kind of surprising to me how quickly they brushed past that with very little if any sort of supporting dialogue
1: yeah and then um back to omaha for a second abby maggie and Gallant are waiting for eric to be released and Abby just tells Gallant that he can go home and she'll get a ride back to the airport with Maggie so he can take the rental car and go away. So that's, I think, the last we see of Gallant this episode. <laughs> Pretty
2: much. <laughs> give, me, cool. give me the bonus episode where Gallant is lost in Nebraska.
1: Jesus. Uh, and then it turns out Eric doesn't want to see Abby right now.
0: He only <sighs> wants to talk
1: to Maggie at the moment. Understandably, mm-hmm. she got him arrested.
0: Uh, then we go back to Chicago that we have, and we're in trauma, where they're cracking mom's chest open. We have Susan, Luca, and Cordea here. We see Nathan trying to convince the dad about to do the transplant. Uh, Matt is also crashing in the other room with Carter and Shuni. They're just basically just trying to keep him. They basically just trying to keep him having a pulse at this point. Uh, Nathan confirms that he got consent for the transplant. And Corday says they need to go up to the OR now, but Car- and Carter needs to get a stable rhythm first. So very touch
2: and go here. Ugh. Uh And we, as they're like rolling the kids uh, over to the elevators to get them up to the um, the the OR, you know, we get some heartbreaking audio from the dad Ugh. here, telling his already brain dead son, you know, Toby, mm. that it's not going to hurt, and he's just he's trying he's like, I just, I can't say enough good things about, like, what this actor is able to do in this episode, it's, you know it's it's so easy, like, to get lost in the, the lost in the sauce of, like, a Don Cheadle or an Alan Alder or a Sally Field and be like, God, they're so good and, like, and everything, but then every once in a while you will get a truly one-off episode guy who's not a huge name who comes in and just completely knocks it out of the park and, like, that's what this guy is doing this episode, just 10 out of 10 uh, work from this guy um we, they do a quick cut over back to the trauma room where we see them putting a sheet over mom i believe nathan kind of notes this like he, like visually like he kind of sees out of the corner of his eye that they're covering uh the mother with a sheet so he, he knows what's happened there um and dad is we're back to dad he's kind of panicking and you know in shock a little bit here and he's telling lizzie that you got to make this work and he's again talking to toby the 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 one who is brain dead. He's like, it's okay. You're going to help your brother. And like, as, as they're wheeling him into the, the elevator, uh, and he asks Nathan to wheel Toby, uh, over to his wife so that she can say goodbye. And this is where Nathan has to like, he knows what's happened to the mother, but he has to try to like explain this. He has to try to find the way to explain this to the husband. It's just truly awful. um, but then they cut up to the surgical floor. They're wheeling uh, Matt up to the operating room. Uh, the battery on the gurney on the uh, – uh, what would you – I keep wanting to say EKG. That's not right. Defibrillator. defibrillator. Yeah. yeah. The uh, defibrillator is dead, uh, so they get him into the OR jo- just in time to shock him and uh, rush to get him on bypass. And uh, Shirley runs over to the other OR to get the room prepped. Um, just very – excellent cinematography here like excellent pacing like excellent just excellent everything like just you you get so much out of this little you know what minute 90 second long sequence here like you just get mm-hmm. so much accumulated tension out of it and the score is excellent and it's just just really phenomenal
0: you're just like you're the entire time it's happening you're just like do it do yeah. it come on get it you done feel like you, do you feel it.
2: like you're holding your breath watching it
0: all right. uh well let's go back to our next audio clip here um uh, mag we are back in nebraska maggie is talking to abby about eric's status
4: he doesn't blame you We just can't hide from you you saw him manic and he hasn't accepted it yet he's taking meds, not by choice that could take some time he's emotionally exhausted and he's ashamed try not to be confrontational i've got this down thanks
3: Hi.
5: Were you expecting a straitjacket? No. You look nice. Fashion's key at a court martial.
3: It's not really a court martial, right? It's a a Rule Seven. I know what it is, Abby. You want it out anyway, right?
5: Yeah, it's all a ploy.
3: You know I love you, right? You know that. I was worried about you because I love you.
5: And you think I'm crazy?
3: No, not crazy.
5: Oh, right. Um, sick. Mentally unstable. Suddenly plagued by a psychiatric illness. Truth is, I was having... Pretty good time.
3: Uh, I want you to come back to Chicago with me.
5: <laughs> oh wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um maybe you could call the MPs again.
3: Eric, you've seen this. You know if you don't stay medicated, it can get bad. I mean, bad. You could end up wasting
5: I mean, she's right here.
3: Yeah, I know she is. It's not a secret. She knows it, she'll tell you. She will tell you. Mom, tell him. Tell him, mom. Mom, tell him.
4: I'll be in the waiting room.
5: What the hell, Abby? Yeah, what the hell?
3: You called her? You know, it took me three days to find you, and I had to talk my way on. the I didn't base. ask you to do that. But you called her the most unreliable, undependable person in our lives.
5: And you're dependable.
3: Yeah, to you I am. Yes.
5: And well, I'm sorry. I have to apologize to poor Abby. Poor, poor Abby. My career is over, but she doesn't get to be the savior again. You need help, Eric, and Mom screwed up the first time you went to her. One, I don't need help. And two, I didn't go to her. She thought she saw something. She dragged me to her doctor. I went to make her happy, and her doctor proved her wrong. She wasn't wrong. Then why am I not allowed to call her? Better get going, sir.
0: So Eric's having a day.
2: I think is the big summary of what we get out of this. Yeah, yeah. Boy, he uh like and then this is again goes back to what I said when he first showed up on the show like I what I I I thought that this actor would end up being a much bigger deal than he has ended up being because he has proven here that he is able to do both of the like the manic sort of like you know up parts of this character's arc here but he's also able to do the low lower lows and especially here like the kind of icy detached sort of thing yeah. the angry lows the angry lows yeah and i am you know i just I, I really like him i really like him as an actor and i feel like he should be a much bigger deal than he is fully agree him and Taylor Lautner should just make the next big series. Him, Taylor Lautner, and Josh Hutcherson. There's there you there's go. your new uh, Justice League DC. We fixed it for you.
0: Gross. Um, throw in Shailene Woodley or so or whatever her name is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I can't hey, even you need cross a girl it. in there. Yep. Okay. Um, so then we go over to Nathan, uh, working on the drunk driver and doing an ultrasound and as he's working on him, he asked Nathan if he has Tourette's or something. Hmm. And he's like, yeah, I just, you know, I just, I ran into a snow, a snowman, you know, my leg hurts real bad from that. And Nathan's like, no, you fucking hit a family. And he's like, no, it was just a snowman. And they were, he was like, you, they were building a snowman. Fuck face. Just. Yeah. Mm. Get him done. She will get
0: him. This guy also looks like, uh, we have Shep at home. <laughs>
2: it's the hair it's the 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 yeah the early 2000s ron eldar dope cut yeah uh yeah and our drunk here is uh, played by actor joseph kell who appears in stuff like the invisible man csi miami and relativity cool
0: uh let's go to another audio clip here uh, maggie and abby are talking about eric after he has driven to court
4: you have to give him time abby now you speak. Now you have an opinion. I can't feel we're ganging up on him. Just don't push him. I didn't push him. You are already talking about going back to Chicago.
3: They're discharging him, Mother. What do you suggest? We put him up in a psychiatric hospital in Omaha? I'm not so sure he
4: should be hospitalized.
3: Well. That's not really your decision. Is it yours? You know, he only looks normal because he's on Depakote. And if you had seen him. I know the pathology, sweetie.
4: And yes, the easy thing would probably be to try to commit him. Easy? But he's got to accept
3: the disease accommodate it, And until he does, he needs to be supervised. Or he will go off his meds. You always did.
4: Well, he probably will at one time or another. But Abby, trust me on this. It's like AA. It's got to be his decision. He's got to want it. And it's way too early for that.
3: Mom, I have been living with this disease my entire life. Please, don't like
4: I know you've been living with this your entire life, but you've never been inside it. What is
3: that? What is that? Inside it. Like, you two have some sort of special bond now. Because you're both inside
4: of it. Abby, stop it. This is about Eric. You can't go back to the way you two were. There's no quick fix. Your brother will be struggling with this for the rest of his life.
0: Damn right, Sally Field. And she's right. And... As someone who has multiple mental illnesses, I do feel a sort of kinship with a lot of people who can relate to my experiences.
2: Yeah, that's just like a human connection thing. Right, shared experience is one of the like easiest ways to like. It's one of the the, the most direct ways to establish connection between people. Like, so yeah, it it, it is gonna be easier for Maggie to understand what. Eric's going through and vice versa, like than it is for Abby who's dealing with her own barrel of shit. And, and Maggie rightfully points out that like, there are some similarities to the lived experience of an alcoholic and, and specifically with respect to like Alcoholics Anonymous, like that he's got to want to get better. He's got to want to get help and, and receive treatment for it and trying to force it on him and feel like you're ganging up on him is going to not only not work, but it's going to be counterproductive. It's going to make things worse. And that's, that's what I was saying earlier of like, I love that this episode really drives home the point of like, you know, she is wrong about this and that her intentions are good, but that her methodology is, is poor and questionable.
1: But no, I absolutely going back to what Lizzie said, there is definitely a kinship with someone who has had lived experience with an illness that you're going through. And, um, I kind of like, and this is terrible of me, but I kind of like that they call out Abby this episode. Mm-hmm. That, like, yeah, it is really unfortunate what she's lived through and, you know, like, her side of things. But they're like, no, like, this is about Eric. Eric needs the support right now. Think about what he's going through. You know, he has this whole journey that he has to go on. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that Maggie is there to be the voice for him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. For sure.
1: But then we go into Nathan is, oh, God, well, why'd you guys give me all the awful things today? This (laughs) one's so bad. Uh, Nathan is working on doing an exam for a young girl who's been sick and vomiting, and he slips as he's putting the um, scope in to check her ear drum, or her eardrum, apologies, and she screams bloody murder, like we think he may have punctured her eardrum or something with how... How bad that is. So Carrie comes over to to like check on it and help and everything, and he goes to walk away, and she goes, "You're not done here." And he goes, "Oh yes, I am." And he just walks away, mm. just like fucking no. So not great. I I gag every time I see that scene where it's just like Ugh. no, <laughs> no, thank you.
0: All right, uh, another audio clip coming up here. This is for my money. This is arguably Corday's best scene mm-hmm. in the entire series. I, th- I love this scene so much. Um, it, we are going to be going down to the ER. We're going to be staying in the ER. Uh, the dad is sitting with the deceased mom in Trauma 1 when Lizzie comes in.
6: We were able to get Matt stabilized on bypass. The transplant team's at work. Is there anybody you'd like me to call?
4: When will you know?
6: It's a delicate procedure, especially on children. There's a waiting room on the third floor.
4: I can't seem to walk out of this room.
3: What what time is it? Uh,
6: It's almost five.
4: I'd be getting home about now. Sylvia would probably pick up a pizza or some Chinese because she got busy with the boys after school and didn't have time to cook. Toby would have a picture that he drew You would want me to look at. Matt would want me to test him on his
5: math.
6: You made the right decision, the only one you could.
4: We woke up this morning, everything was white. They were so happy, we all got to stay home.
6: It may not seem like it, but um I know what you're feeling. I, I understand what you're feeling.
4: I'm sorry, doctor, but you... You don't know what I'm feeling. You don't have any idea. I don't even know.
6: My husband, his name was Mark. He died, my God, I was about to say last year. It was only six months ago. I tried to pretend. Mark was gone that I could pull myself up, continue like normal. But it doesn't work like that. You see, you can't run away from it. It's it's like this big, relentless wave (sighs) that you have to ride. But in riding it somehow, you hold on to what you've lost and you find a way to go on without shutting off it's not easy but you do it I know someday soon when you look into your child's eyes all you will see beautiful things that live on in him.
1: before we get into how beautiful what lizzie says there is i want to say i love when he goes you can't know what i'm feeling i don't even know what i'm feeling
2: mm-hmm. oh fuck! yeah like that's the thing like it's, it's this is not a one-sided uh scene no the, not it's at not all just alex kingston showing off here like this is this is two really good actors working off of each other incredibly well um and I, I, I don't want that to get lost in the in the shuffle because, like, like, like Lizzie said before the clip, it's it's arguably Corday's best scene in the entire show, um, but it is, um, it's, it's enhanced, I think, by the other actor, uh, Jeff cover yeah. it's enhanced mm-hmm. by his oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I just love that line specifically because it's so true for so many traumatic things. It's like. No, fuck you. I'm not even there yet. What are you talking about? Right. Like, come to back, come back to me in three weeks when I figured out how to feel about right. this.
2: Yeah, I I love the music. You know, the score mm-hmm. usage as we talked about. Like, they they hit it. They hit the note uh, right on the head perfectly with that. Um, you know, I my only like my only like about it. Well, two things. One is admittedly very minor, and the other one is is more like. Big picture stuff is that this is an amazing payoff to yes. to a, a mini arc, what should be a mini arc. This is a, this is an amazing payoff to what should be uh, a a running through line through the first you know third slash half of this season, um, and the reality is is that the mini arc that I'm referring to is like woefully underbaked. Like the the mini arc itself is incredibly underbaked and is not consistent and is not um it's not given the time and attention that it deserves. And they it's great that they managed to land the plane in such a graceful way here, but it still doesn't help that like the first you know, the, the first all everything leading up to this has been, like I said, kind of woefully inconsistent and just really underdeveloped. Like you like we said way back at the beginning of the season there should have been an entire episode dedicated to Lizzie's kind of fish out of water dilemma in England. There should have been a much rockier adjustment period to her coming back. I'm shocked—not shocked, but I'm—I'm I'm annoyed that, and I don't know if that's uh, if it was a purposeful choice on their part or maybe they just didn't occur to them to do it. But, like, I'm annoyed that that her stuff with Mark, like, her her grieving process as it pertains to Mark, hasn't we- weaved itself more delicately and elegantly into the Paul Nathan storyline than it has. Right. Because it really doesn't come up at all before this episode. She's just kind of a, for lack of a better word, she's just kind of a bitch to him for no reason. <laughs> like, she's just mm-hmm. really mean to him. And, like, part of it is is true that, like, he does need to, like, learn his limitations and stuff. But, like... I just feel like there could have been a mutually beneficial aspect to that story where she could learn something about this man dealing with Parkinson's. He could help her kind of learn to cope with her grief and and not not learn to cope with it, but just come to terms with it and and like she says in this scene, like learn to live with it and move on. And there just was a much more elegant way to you know weave her story throughout these eight or nine episodes. And I love the way it ends. I love the culmination of it. But everything up before that is just such a letdown. And I just wish it were a better, more like fully told thing. Because I feel like they missed a big opportunity here. But what is here, though, is great. Yes, no, yeah. 100%. It is 100%. And then my only other, like, minor, like, little nitpick thing here is that, like, don't be telling people that they're going to be okay before they the surgery happens. Right? Like, don't be – you're, you're right? a surgeon. You know better, damn it. Like, like
1: no, he'll be fine. Right. Be, no, like, no, he's got a six-hour surgery I, ahead of him. Lately. I
2: know you guys just had your little moment, and now you're having a hug, and you're hugging it out. But, like, yeah. don't be telling people that. <laughs> he can still sue your Another –
0: Another thing I absolutely love about this scene, though, is that he's sitting on the floor, mm-hmm. and then when then she gets down on his yeah. level, yep. Too, I think that's just a when she goes to talk about Mark. I think that's just a very nice, like, oh, I'm the doctor and you're the thing. It's right. like, no, no, we're we're in this we're in this these fields right. together and- now.
1: Which also psychologically, getting on someone's level is literally a tool to use when someone is going yeah. through an experience like this. Yeah. Is like. No, like, I've done it with Lizzie all the time where she'll be freaked out mm-hmm. and I will literally kneel to be at her level with whatever's going on. So yeah. it does work.
2: And we talked about this a little bit when, uh both when Clooney left and we talked about it when Mark left, that, like, there is, the, especially when one half of a romantic pairing is left in the wake, um, like, um it is a very delicate balance and a very delicate line to toe of invoking the forgotten character's name or or you know their legacy and and not overdoing it and not reminding the audience that the character they love is no longer around too much but i do feel like they kind of overcorrected with this storyline i feel like they they went too far in the other direction of never bringing up mark except in these like really mm-hmm. emotional moments uh and I feel like there was a better balance to be struck. I don't need you to like beat me over the head with it and be like, she's really sad about her dead husband every week. No, 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 I don't need that. But I'm just saying maybe do it a little bit more than like once every eight episodes, because she's really sad about him at the very beginning of the season. And then she just doesn't mention it at all. And then now all of a sudden she's having this like epiphany and like emotional moment with this patient, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel an important, right, I just wish they would have connected the dots a little better. All right, uh,
0: I should have said this, that, that was the first of three audio clips in a row here, but...
1: Listening hey. party. Woo!
0: It's a, hey, there's a lot of great acting in this episode. There is. I'd love to listen to it. All right, so uh, let's move on. Uh, Eric is demanding due process, and Abby talks to him about what that might mean.
5: Based on his testimony at the board, they feel they don't have enough information to conclude that he was mentally incompetent. So
0: what's he doing here?
5: He's demanding due process. He
3: needs to stay medicated.
5: I'm trying to contact the convening authority to get him released from pretrial confinement. The door doesn't open from the inside, so just pick up the phone when you're finished.
3: Thank you. You requested a, a court martial? No. That's what the lawyer says they're. I was
5: working. gone less than 30 days. The worst they'll do is discharge me. Maybe give me a couple of weeks confinement. Don't have a
3: couple of weeks.
5: I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't broken any laws. I haven't acted irresponsibly. I just needed a change. You went AWOL. If that's between me and them, they want me to say I'm crazy. Well, I'm not going to say it. Nobody's saying you're crazy. You're saying I'm crazy. No, I'm not. Come on, Abby. You were there. You even tried to hide it from me. Mom was crazy. She was out of her mind crazy. And I'm not like that. I'm not her.
0: You can say it all you want. I'm not her. This man continues to have a normal one.
1: Mm. Fuck.
0: And continues to be amazing yeah. at it.
1: Yeah, like I I know Daniel when this first this arc first started, you were like, "Yeah, Eric's great. Eric's amazing. He needs like great." I had completely forgotten just how good he gets. Mm-hmm. And like this, this whole a- episode, I was just like, fuck.
0: This episode and next episode are also—he's a powerhouse in the next episode as yeah. well.
2: He just—I uh, I think the character unfortunately gets reduced to what happens at the end of the season uh, and mm-hmm. is unfairly kind of like maligned. Uh, unfairly maligned because of that, you know. Which, which is again used as a vehicle to further crit- further levy criticism at Abby as as a character. Um, so he just sort of becomes this vehicle with which you can you know throw uh, throw shit at the wall to stick to Abby. Um, but I I think I think lost in all of that is how good he is in these moments. Like how how are they? There's all these other moments with this character that get lost in the shuffle because of you know the the stuff that happens at the end of the season. So, I I can't say enough good things about uh, Tom Everett Scott. Love this guy.
0: All right, uh, last audio clip of the episode. We are up on the roof. Uh, Nathan is gonna have a chat with Lizzie.
6: Hey. Shirley, uh, she said she saw you out here on her break almost an hour ago. You okay?
0: No symptoms. It's perfect timing, huh? You
5: need something?
6: I owe it to you to give you this in person. Your evaluation. You're not going to open it? Open it for what? There's no middle ground with you, is there? Blind optimism or self-pity? That's just the truth. It's gonna
5: cripple me. Just when I learn how to deal with another symptom, it progresses.
6: What were you expecting?
5: Time. I expected time. Enough time to figure out a... Time's gonna kick my ass.
0: So
6: what, that's it? You're just gonna give in?
0: Isn't that what you wanted?
6: No. No, I wanted you to recognize your limitations. I thought you were trying to prove something. But you probably saved that little boy's life today. You connected with his father when he was completely lost. You guided him to make the right decision. Any idiot can suture a wound put in a chest tube. you. Do you have a gift, Mr. Nathan? The gift of a physician. Now it's up to you to decide if you want to share that gift and then find a way.
1: By the way, I keep my promises. I failed you. So, great inspiring speech. Find a way to do this, but by the way, not through fucking... your actual, uh... medical degree, because I failed your ass, have fun, bye. Like...
0: A he can always redo it he can he can redo it <sighs> b I think she did it to prove her point yeah. like you are you are a great you have the capacity to be a great person in the medical field
1: just not a surgeon
0: not a practicing physician
1: but still, sure. I'm just saying it's just really funny coming right off that to, yeah, go be a great physician, find a way to share this with the world. by the way, I failed you good luck. Yeah. Like I understand the actual nuance and everything, but to me it's just no,
2: funny. yeah, it, and it's a, it, well. And two, you know, like these are this is really the last time you're going to see these two characters interact ever. So it is a very odd, abrupt note to leave them on um, for a pairing that, quite frankly, has always felt mismatched and has always felt to me like. And I think I'm. I think I'm. And this this is probably me reading too much into things and, and fantasy booking, but like my. In my head, in my head, on paper, this started as a Romano storyline. And then for some reason, they changed their mind and they decided to pivot and make it a Lizzie storyline instead. Because I feel like there's a much, especially if, like I said a little bit ago, especially if you're not going to bother to interweave the whole she's struggling with overcoming and and coping with her grief from Mark's death if you're not going to interweave that into this storyline and kind of make marry those two ends of the spectrum within it it makes much more sense as a direct parallel to what Romano's going through and you know you could easily make the justification in a storyline sense. you could easily make the justification well he's not allowed to operate himself so they stuck him with a student to give him something to do so that he would be in the mm. OR and he would still be present. And I feel like Romano watching this man come to terms with a condition that is going to that is going to beat him. Like it is it, you know, he can outrun it for as long as he wants, but like there will come a time where the 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 disease overcomes him and overtakes him. It's a very similar type of you know, similar but different type of situation to what Romano's dealing with currently. And I feel like there was a much more interesting, much more nuanced kind of back and forth to be had between those two characters than there is between uh, b- between Nathan and Lizzie. Which, uh, like I said, no shade to either one of them, but like it's just a, it's a weird, awkward match. And I've said it all along that like it feels like they blew their wad with this storyline in the first episode. It feels like they did too much too soon. And they, they came full circle with it. They were like, oh, we, you know, she doesn't like him because she doesn't understand what he's going through. And, and then blah, 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 45 minutes later, sh- mutual shared respect, storybook uh, after school special ending and credits. Like and then from there, it has just been this weird, like tangled mess of them trying to create like some sort of, you know, coherent through line between the two of them. And it just hasn't really hit for me. And so I would much rather have seen. I would much rather have seen two separate storylines. I would have much rather seen Lizzie dealing with her, you know, grief journey and uh Paul Nathan dealing with Romano. Like and and not to play it up, but like there's also the the like racial tension stuff you could have a little bit more of the like Benton Romano thing, you know, where he's like making snide remarks and shit and, you know, being being gross Romano. I just feel like there's a lot more there was a lot more meat on the bone to be mined there than there was here and I think I said it last episode or the one before that like as much as I love the character of or the performance the portrayal Don Cheadle gives to the character of Paul Nathan I don't really love the story that much the story is very inconsistent and incoherent at points like it is just very like all over the place what they're trying to do with it and so I I enjoy the performance much more than I do the actual meat of the story.
0: Took the oh. words right out of my mouth, and in I, a better fashion. I just need
1: to say, I would fucking love to have watched this be a Romano story. I never would have, I never would have even considered it. Thank you, Daniel.
2: These are the things I think about. Uh, <laughs> we go from there. Damn you. Uh, close out the close the loop this episode with Abby and Maggie, who are out on the steps of the base. Uh, Abby comes out, says that uh, she brought out a soda for Maggie. Says all they had was diet Shasta, which I was like, holy shit, Shasta. <laughs> Shasta. forgot that was even a thing uh Maggie says they still make this she says I hope so and uh Abby asks <laughs> Abby asks Maggie to be with her on this testimony uh Eric can't stay in military jail uh Maggie with some heartbreaking insight here says they tells Abby that you're angry at me for giving it to him. All I can do now is try to be his mother, which is just a just a phew, arrow right through the heart of a line there uh Abby gets a call. Maggie uses that as her opportunity to go try to find them a hotel room. This is, may take a few days, so she heads off. She fills in Carter on what's uh, going on with the whole situation, and we do a you know, the cutesy little romantic comedy transition where it's like, oh, you were actually three feet away from me while I was making this supposedly long-distance call. <clears throat> Whatever. Uh, we see him get out of the car as they're talking on the phone. Yeah, so... All, it makes me so mad cuz
1: you see the car behind her pull in and you're like that's got to be fucking
2: Yeah, bad. it's it was a I thought it I thought it was a I think I thought they did the best they they could with it. They could. But yeah. I also was like this is kind of cheap. I was like this is this is a little cheap. Mm. But uh We go, speaking of kind of cheap, happy endings, we go back to the uh, ER where Nathan finds a way to examine uh, the little girl's ear with her help so that he doesn't have to worry about his hand jerking. And it's this nice little like, oh, maybe he will find a way to still, you know, find his way in the world. Admittedly, it's a better ending to the story than Lizzie just being like, I failed your ass. Fuck you. Double bird. You know, like (laughs) it is a better ending to the story than that would have been from a tone standpoint. Um but I don't know, like how do how as the the group at large, how do you, how do you feel about the Paul Nathan storyline now that we're closing the book on that character? This is the last time we will ever see him.
1: I I felt like there was more of him.
2: Oh like, yeah, this it's, is one of those things where I, I
1: absolutely thought it was a thought it was a longer arc. But then again, when do I ever remember anything right about ER? But I definitely thought it was a longer arc, and for some reason, I thought that it wasn't so.
2: Yeah, I should inconsistent i should i should point I out too, too before we get some... too deep in the weeds i should point out that i have misplaced my notes here uh it's actually they they do have the last scene here where he gets called up to the transplant room and he gets pulled in to do the honors yes. of shocking the heart on the the heart transplant kid so it's even which is a really cool it scene, is a it's a great scene. cute yeah. cute little scene cool little scene like it's a it's a great moment but uh so i just I, b- before people i can i can he, i could hear the smoke coming off of people's keyboards as they're like there's one sorry. more scene
1: sorry Um, But yeah, I definitely remembered it being a much more consistent storyline and a little bit longer. So the way, like we've talked about how it was kind of, they didn't quite know where to put him and how to actually have the story beats hit. Um, I think that was really at a detriment to it. Again, Don Cheadle's amazing. I would have loved to see him more. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have had, I would have loved to have seen him come back, you know, a few seasons down the road, just as a like little Easter egg is you know, kind of like we did with them, I think hen yeah. and and
2: if he were if yeah, he so were like not on the verge of a major breakthrough as an a list yeah. movie star, I think there's a possibility yeah. you could have seen that,
1: yeah, but so like overall, I liked it. We've already discussed the weak points. um, I think Don Cheadle's acting really helps sell it for the good part of it that it mm. is, but um overall, I was whelmed. Yeah. I remembered liking it a lot more, but I was whelmed.
0: <laughs> no <Nope. laughs> Yeah, story content-wise, it's yeah. I don't know what else I can really add out that you two haven't, but I fully agree that story-wise, I was whelmed. Acting-wise, it was just as good as I remember. Yeah. Give me more Don Cheadle and everything, please.
2: Yeah, I uh, <laughs> speaking, in, in, speaking about uh, him not being around as long as we would have liked or, or we, or we thought um, I almost want him to switch places with John Leguizamo. <laughs> like as much as I like John, <laughs> as much as I like John Leguizamo, uh, that character does kind of overstay its welcome, and like gets a little by a couple episodes, Gets a little yeah. bit silly by the end. So I would have liked. I mean, the way it ends, right? But I'm just saying, if I could have switched the two and had John Leguizamo's character be just a four episode quick hitter, like, hey, here's a wacky dude and his whole shenanigans, that would have been a nice quick four, you know, four episode arc. But if you could have stretched it out to the more like seven, eight, nine area like that kind of length I feel like you could have gotten a lot more out of Don Cheadle I feel like he was I feel like just that there's I feel like you could have given I mean of course he's Don Cheadle he's a great actor but like I feel like you could have given Don Cheadle any kind of role on this show and he would have fit very well like he fit exceptionally well with this cast and I don't think it was just the character that he was playing I think it was just Don Cheadle's a really good fucking actor and he would have fit very well in any capacity um. Yeah. But anyway,
0: this episode fucks. Uh, <laughs> ab- absolute 10 out of 10 would not change a single scene. It's pretty for pretty me. Pretty great. Pretty. That's which is so rare that you can say that about this show, at least in my book that I would not change a single scene. I would not change a single pacing thing. I would not change a single musical score. I just love it. It's one of my favorite episodes of the entire series, and i that's an absolute ten out of ten,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, I'd say nine just to be contrary, but no, I think it's absolutely a good episode. um yeah, I don't really have any fix it notes, I just can't give it a full ten
2: yeah i don't I don't know that I have any like definitive fix it things um, there's really nothing glaring in this episode, that's for sure, um. I just like I said at the top like I feel like it's an episode that doesn't get talked about as an all-time classic like mm-hmm. I feel like it's not an episode that comes up in best of lists and things like that and it's certainly I think in contention for best episode of the season thus far um, yeah. like I don't think there has been anything that has risen to this level of quality uh, mm-hmm. other, other than maybe you could make the argument if you're a fan of it you could make the argument for the first episode of the season
0: Yeah. Um, which I am but this one's better in my book, but what I was going to say is like whenever, on the rare occasions that I am talking about ER with someone and we're talking about our favorite episodes, I feel like the kind of hipster guy who's like oh... (laughs) Like the singles, yeah, the singles are good, but this other track that no one's ever heard on the album is way better. <laughs>
1: Blizzard's great, but have you ever watched? I already forgot the name. Her of For snowfall. First
2: snowfall. Yeah.
1: Oh, yep. hey, and I picked a snow-related one too. Look at me go. That would be a that would
2: be, hey. that would be a cool little like double feature: Blizzard and First Snowfall, just as a yeah. a, a snow-related Guys, double feature.
1: Nope, I'm not even gonna say it. I'm not putting more content that we're not gonna do out into the universe. Exactly. I'm not gonna yeah. do it.
0: We my, gotta we gotta review volcano later this my, month my list of the, podcasts uh, Excuse you, Twister. Oh, yeah. Me. Sorry, my, my bad. My list, got voted down.
1: my list of podcasts to do and my list of shows to watch grows increasingly longer as as I run out of time on this world. God damn it! I need to live forever it's so okay. I can do all consume and create all the media I want.
0: When we're all retired and we're all living in communal housing because none of us can afford to retire on our own. Jesus, all, Lizzie. So. I and mean, she's not wrong. This, this is what we'll do. We'll just make podcasts all day. And in then our retirement. Do,
2: exactly. You're just we describing, all the podcasts we you're want. You're just describing 2020 and it was terrible. <laughs> like, that's all That's all we did yeah, was except, make content all here's day here's the
0: thing. we People won't be dying in a pandemic around us, hopefully, and. We'll be able to go outside and not feel like we're going to die. Lauren, what did the listeners have to say about it?
1: Boy, howdy. Brittany L says, this is probably an unpopular opinion and spoiler alert. I hate the Abby's brother is bipolar storyline. I know part of it is my own bias recently made aware of the possibility that I was misdiagnosed with the disorder in my early twenties, but I digress. I really feel like Abby's alcoholism would have been the perfect clue or route to her own bipolar diagnosis. Of course, we know a bit more than when the show was written, but like many other psych disorders, bipolar disorder is a spectrum of symptoms, and many people do end up with that diagnosis after struggling with alcoholism and or addiction, self-medicating. As a viewer feeling so disconnected from Eric, it wasn't exactly a gripping storyline. Don't get me wrong, I still enjoy most of Abby's character development over the years, But I feel like something was left on the table with the decision to make her brother the bipolar one, for lack of a better term.
2: Interesting perspective.
1: Yeah, I would have been very intrigued to see how that would have gone if they had made Abby bipolar. That is a complete uh, Monday. What is it? Monday Night Quarterback.
2: Monday morning. Monday morning. Monday morning quarterback.
1: Monday Morning Quarterback, we'll just do a full lounge episode about how that could have gone. But Hannah B. says, So Abby's storyline in this season is really special to me. I grew up with a mentally unwell mother like Abby, and my childhood was really tough. Mom was depressed rather than bipolar, but she often stayed in hospital. Went manic, tried to take her own life, had electroshock therapy, you name it. Until I saw ER in season 9 in 2003, I never saw my own experience on screen. And I've never seen it depicted on screen since. This makes ER all the more important to me. Maura Tierney and Sally Field play the mother and daughter dynamic with mental illness thrown into the mix perfectly. How can you love someone so much yet be so angry, upset, and traumatized by what that mental illness has put you both through? All the scenes between Abby, Eric, and Maggie are just fantastic. Really well played. No one is right or wrong in how they behave. Mental illness just sucks ass, and you can always understand why each character acts and feels the way they do. Truth be told, it's really hard to rewatch this. About a year after I first saw season 9, my mom did ultimately die by suicide in 2004 when I was just 16. But I take comfort in knowing that at least Maggie ended up okay, and could even be there for Abby when Joe was born. That offers some catharsis. Once Maura Tierney was working in the theater in Dublin and I flew over from the UK to see the show and wait for her by the stage door to say how much I loved her portrayal of Abby and ER and how authentic it was. She said, thank you. We tried really hard to get it right. You did, I replied. You did. And then Grace B says, I've been chewing on a couple of things, but I think I'll save one of them for next week. I think I could have been clearer regarding my feelings surrounding Paul Nathan. Knowing now that Don Cheadle was nominated for an Emmy for playing a guest character whose main focus is that he's a med student with Parkinson's, this happens a lot with able actors being cast to play disabled characters and then being nominated for their heroic and inspirational portrayals, and it has a term. It's called Cripping Up. Able-bodied being glorified for portraying the actual lived experiences of disabled people while those folks never have a shot to tell their own stories. And in her interview, Laura Inez talked some about how this practice and attitudes toward it have evolved over time, but quite honestly, my problem is not really with Don Cheadle's performance. He's brilliant, and I think expecting a different casting choice in early 2000s is unrealistic. It's the writing I had more problems with. It's why his character bothers me more than Carrie in this regard. He's a special guest character who has Parkinson's, and that's the biggest thing about his character and his arc. Carrie happens to be disabled, but that's one of 1,000 intricate and fascinating things we know about her. The writing to Paul Nathan's arc never felt to me like the writers did their due diligence to speak to and listen to folks who have Parkinson's disease themselves. I'm not sorry this arc is over. I happily wear my crown of stupidity or whatever it was Daniel called it an Instagram meme, but I'll admit to missing Don Cheadle. The man is a hell of an artist. (sighs) Oh, and this feels so good to say last, but certainly not least at the full time dad is back and he has, this is the holiday sweeps episode that no one talks about, but everyone should. I know much of the talk was about Sally Fields return, but my favorite parts of the episode all deal with the trauma in the ER, which gives us some of the best Elizabeth moments ever, a surprisingly powerful performance from Jeff Kober and a fitting and poignant conclusion to Don Cheadle's arc. The pacing of the initial trauma is is throwback ER good. The subsequent race to save their lives also harkens back to classic interventions. The scene between Cobra and Corday, however, is a tour de force and provides us with some of Alex Kingston's last great moments during her run. The choice to set her monologue to the score used throughout Orion in the Sky was not by accident and only further drives home Elizabeth's moment of clarity about her life in the months following Mark's death. It's one of the show's best monologues, and the embrace at the end, just perfect. The choice to carry the Orion theme to the end of the episode, as Nathan is given the chance to cut the heart, was also a nice touch, and quickly is becoming the theme of choice for those tender farewell moments. They'll use it to say goodbye to Abby and Neela in 15. I will let others talk about the Maggie, Abby, Eric thread, which was also very good. Shout out to Gallant, because, well, black actors— but had to speak on the other stuff because it really stands out amid the early season nine mediocrity. As always, Aaron, (laughs) goddamn.
0: See, why are we even just doing that? I I I don't do words good. This man does good words. Good.
1: Aaron knows shit about ER Mm -hmm. that I'm just like, I have to take your word for it. My dude, (laughs) like I, you're, you'd know better than I would.
0: Oh. all right well that's gonna wrap up our episode for today thank you all very much for listening as always really really appreciate it these days uh this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast where for only five dollars a month yes just five you can get an assortment of stickers including one featuring our favorite desk clerk jerry over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content including the full season recap episodes a free for our monthly bonus show called the lounge and movie reviews twister where we talk about a movie featuring an er cast member probably later in july i think it's a very weird time for a lot of us and character Retrospectives, is where we reflect on departed main cast members we would also appreciate it you if you would follow us on our social media accounts we are on facebook at facebook.com sand tone podcast and we are at silent tone podcast on instagram also be sure to check out the official sand the tone community on facebook Facebook, our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel, where can folks find
2: you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. Hey,
0: and Lauren, where can folks find you at?
1: Folks can find me on Instagram at lobo92345. And I also want to note, they can also find Daniel on our newest sticker that patrons get. We have a ridiculous sticker with Daniel's face on it. Uh, currently
0: only going to the $10 tier because yep. they get more stickers than the $5 tier. just so. so you
1: guys know, um, along with the legacy of the, whose films are those stickers with my cartoon face, Daniel now has a cartoon face on a sticker. We're working on figuring out what Lizzie's is going to be, but if you want Daniel's crazy cartoon face on a water bottle, you can have it.
0: It's just going to be a picture of me just associating into the ether
1: with the walking intrusive thought caption. Yes. We have options. <laughs>
0: Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Random gamer that's GAM3R and thanks again everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time and have a great week. <laughs>